Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 228th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that still stands, as should we all, with the movement to end racial injustice and defund police services in favor of more effective options. I mean, add on to that, how about save the environment, elect efficient public officials, make sure COVID goes away, just all the good things, really. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on an awesome Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week? This week we're going to start off by talking about our metagame week in review. There's a Modern League and a Showcase Challenge in Pioneer that had some uh, spicy delightfulness that really deserves a lot of highlighting. Uh, we're going to move on to segment two, the top movers in paper. Uh, some really fun things, some really optimistic people. Uh, we're also going to talk about the movers on Magic Online. Then segment three, you and I have our picks. Uh, there's going to be some delightful discussion about these, I'm sure. And finally, our topic of the week is the bannings. All the news that did and didn't happen. And that's uh, going to be linked to some of the cards that move this week, too. So it's always a good time. I guess we can kick the top of the show off with a little bit of uh, fun follow-up to last week's discussion about Japanese War of the Spark. We had the Pro Trader community, our MGG Price Pro Traders, um, over in the Discord posting uh, so many pictures of their cracked war cases that we had to start a new channel just for box crackings, uh, just so that we kept it out of <laughs> the people that don't care about that uh, way. And uh, we did have some pretty fantastic cases of War of the Spark opened in the last week, some uh, some bad ones as well, as is prone to happen with sealed product. Uh, yours truly opened two cases within the last seven days, and I managed to pull a foil... Uh, Japanese alt art uh, Nissa, who shakes the world, and a Narset, uh, Parter of Veils. Uh, combined total of those two cards alone covered my two cases. So that was kind of nice. I mean, I'm not going to call anybody who wants to open sealed product degenerate because that's just fun. Every pack is a new hit of dopamine, and uh, <laughs> you just you just run with that. Uh, you got we got it at a ridiculous price that I don't want to say on the air. I'll let you brag about that when the time is right. But uh, our members got in for a, a price that is wonderful, and it doesn't take a lot of hits on a set full of awesome casual cards anyway. So this is really. Um, just a really great thing that we're doing and the fact that we have a channel full of like look at this awesomeness look at this awesomeness oh my god i wish mine was half that awesome it's all amazing and i'm really impressed with the community that we're building it doesn't really help when somebody opens a really great case because it just encourages more people to crack theirs on the hunt 
we did lay down early on that the correct move with these cases is despite what I did. Do as I say, not as I do, folks. You don't crack war cases right now. The easiest way you can uh, you know, profit off these is to just hold them till they're about 160, 180, 200. Sometime the next 6 to 12 months would be my guess when they've dried up and people realize how expensive the uh, foil walkers are getting. And, but, and some of our members are disciplined and seem to have stashed them away for that event. But a lot of people went ahead and cracked them. Um, partially because I ran, you know, there were some challenges from our members. You know, is this even, like, is the EV on these boxes even positive? So I went ahead and ran the EV number math fresh. And as far as I know, I'm the only person on the planet who has done this publicly. Um, <laughs> because Saffron, of course, does his his uh, article for every set where he calculates EV. And he did do it for uh, War of the Spark. But he didn't do it separately for Japanese War of the Spark. And he also did it fairly early in the game before some of those cards had hit their peak. You know, Amano was 600 to 1,000 at that point, not... 2000 plus us so we went ahead and ran the math on all of that and the numbers were impressive i mean the the boxes do tend to be positive ev even considering fees and only considering five dollar plus cards um which i think is a big difference between the way other sites will calculate ev where they'll calculate value as opposed to looking at a package of cards you're going to pull out of that product that you can realistically sell. So our EV calculation was actually already fairly conservative. Um, and the bottom line was that the cases can be swinging, and it largely depends on two things. How many non-foil Amanos do you pull out? And they average somewhere around one per case. Uh, and do you hit well when you hit foil planeswalkers? And you get one of those about 0.9 times per box, and up until recently, some of them were 5 or $10 only, and you don't really want to hit a Jaya um, when you're looking for an Amano, because <laughs> the, uh, the differential's extreme. But if you hit, you know, Teferi, Karn, Ugin, um, Nicol Bolas... Nissa, Narset, Ashiok, and you manage to pull an, an Amano or two, then you're probably doing very well indeed um, to the to the tune of being able to take the top five or ten cards that you busted and pay for the whole case. Now, how often is that going to happen? Well, I actually broke down EV on these uh, with and without the foil walkers. So looking at... Uh, all the stuff, including the foil walkers, EV on the boxes was looking like 150 plus, which is a very nice number when you're getting boxes for less than $100. But if you want to remove the swinginess of the foil walkers and get a more realistic perspective, it's more like 110, 112. And when you're comparing that to other MGG Finance activities, you know, buying a brick of something at $3 in Europe and then flipping it for 5 to a buy list three months later or something, there's really no comparison. The, those other things, mopping up specs that are spiking, arbitrage overseas, buy listing bricks, all that stuff is going to beat this. Any, any and all, well, the vast majority of sealed products. There have been, because we're in the onset of the premium era of Magic the Gathering, there have been some some situations where quick flips were pretty amazing, including Japanese War of the Spark purchased in Japan 
at $100 a box and flipped to the U.S. at $200 a year ago. Um, Mythic editions, that kind of thing, um, have been, you know, very impressive in short periods of time. Some of the secret layers um, have worked out that way as well. But the bottom line is that the boxes are swingy, uh, but we did have the penultimate event go down in the Discord this afternoon, just before we started recording. Uh, Shadow Shifter, uh, one of our members, uh, opened a foil Amano this afternoon. I don't know if you saw his pictures. Pretty hot stuff to buy a case for less than 600 bucks and pull out a $2,000 card, plus get everything else in the case for free. I mean... I'm I'm scrolling through the Discord now and it it does look great. He added the video clip. It's it's all you would want it to be. God, that's hot. Like I have. Um, it's so nice. The card is I, really gorgeous in person. Um, I've got the, uh one of the prints of the the full yeah, like yeah, yeah. Amano Liliana, uh, up in my classroom. But like seeing it shiny, and knowing what it's worth, that's uh that's hard to argue. Hard to argue. It... So you have a 0.4% chance of pulling that card out of a box. Out of a box? Yeah. So that's a, that's, that's a pretty hefty percentage. That's what you've got to go through 230 boxes? Yeah. I originally thought it was like one out of 180 or so, but I'm fairly confident that the number is, is slightly worse yeah that's um that, that's a bonus i'd say let's you know give him something but really what else could we possibly give the guy he's already won yeah he's, he's he did just fine <laughs> that that will fund you know he can flip or keep the amano as as needs be and he may even the rest of his boxes were pretty good so he may even be able to you know, get 400 of his 600 back from the other cards and then only be down 200 on the Amano and be looking at a 10 to 1 plus return. I mean, that's that's the kind of ratio that will get you, um, you know, all the accolades as a stock trader, much less uh, cracking boxes for sealed product. And this is what's going to drive the price in the future, right? Because all you need is the chance of something good Revised packs are $100, $100 something a piece. Wait, they're probably more than that. How much are revised packs? A lot. I'll tell you this much. Chasing Power 9 is much more expensive than chasing Amanos. God, all these packs are going for like 150 on eBay. And they're all searched. Don't buy sealed revised. Don't buy sealed anything before Ice Age. No, if you didn't know you this, mean, you mean don't buy unsealed. Uh, I mean, uh, don't buy loose booster packs. Let me be clear. Correct. Because yeah, yeah. um, if you if you didn't do this when you were in your younger days and scooch things up to the the plastic and look through it, you can totally look through and see what your rare is, so that you give some other poor soul your rare island. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's just a life lace. I'll scam that on ebay for 600 so yeah <laughs> the japanese war boxes are lottery tickets but they're lottery tickets with an extremely high rate of return because most of the time you break even do a little worse than that do a little better but when you hit big you go you know 4x to 10x 
Because it's actually one of the boxes that we had opened on stream the first time we pulled a foil Amano. It was opened by the Japan hobbyist who had, um, in an or in a cost saving measure, agreed to open a bunch of boxes for our members without having to ship them sealed, so that they were cheaper. So he was basically just cracking them and then putting them, distilling them down to just the best cards and shipping that over to our members in little plastic cases. Uh, and one of those boxes was foil a mono lily, a mono lily, because the foil, um, the foil planeswalkers do not take, do not land in the same slot in the booster pack that is designated for the planeswalkers. I think they take take over for a common. Well, so the dream wait, pack. The, I was going to say so was that, that means, in one pack. Yeah. Uh, no, that was in one box, but there it that it does also mean that somewhere out there there may may be a dream pack that goes a mono foil foil a mono, which in the days of uh, collector boosters, you know, if you opened those for a couple of years and then found that pack, you might not even be that amazed because you see foil extended art, extended art, and you know foil mythic grim tutor extended art, alternate art grim tutor back to back in the collector boosters all the time. Um, and that that the juiciness of collector boosters is getting pushed more and more as we go along here. So uh, it's important to remember that War of the Spark is is old school foil drop rates. You only see one foil rare or mythic per box. Sometimes two foil rares. Uh, you generally only you see a little less than one foil planeswalker per box. Although sometimes you do get two. I have had that happen a couple times, and I saw somebody else. Uh, had that happen today as well. Anyway, they they are fun boxes to open, but they are smart boxes to save. Uh, so we'll wrap it up like that. Yeah, if, if you've got a good way to put them out of your sight line, that's really what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Because if you can and don't see pay attention to our box cracking uh, yeah, channel to, at all. Just mute mute that channel and move on, and know that you uh, are, are are ahead no matter what you decide to do. <laughs> All right, so let's jump in here on the metagame we can review. Of course, we have fresh bannings this week, uh, and these have not... Uh, it's Tuesday when we're recording. Bannings were uh, announced yesterday, July 13th, on the Monday. And so the modern league we're going to be looking at is, A, a league. So it is a curated uh, list that is falsely representing a diversity that may not exist in a format. <laughs> Um, but still can flag interesting lists that are worth looking at going forward um, and is often where hot lists are first spotted. Um, but keep in mind that this league was run with Astrolab still being legal. So I've excised all the Astrolab decks out of here, but there's still quite a lot of goodness. Um, along the way here, we see a fairly standard-looking humans list. Uh, the most notable thing there to me is the four Charming Prince, which has uh, varied. Uh, they've experimented with Charming Prince along the way, and it wasn't 100% clear uh, whether it was going to stick. And it also seems uh, like um, the list that are running it most often now is like the black-white El uh, human Eldrazi list. So like Eldrazi and taxes, as it were. 
uh, four Charming Prince, four Eldrazi Displacer, four Flicker Wisp, four Leonin Arbiter, three Thalia Garden Thraven, four Thought Not Seer, four Tide Hollow Sculler, three three Wasteland Strangler, four Path to Exile, and four Aether Vile. This is a fairly old school list. I've got this built from a couple years back, um, and not a lot has changed other than the Prince. I mean, flickering uh, Thought Not Seer sounds like. Uh, does Thought Not Seer say when it dies or when it leaves play, they draw a card? Uh, I think they uh, target opponent draws a card when it leaves the battlefield. Okay, so flickering that is not as good as my first impression was. Still, um, anything with Arbiter and uh, Thalia, that's going to feel good. And I just feel like Eldrazi Displacer should get more play. I'm not entirely sure why it doesn't. Well, mostly because the format has tons of combos and degenerate cards that have been pushed over the last year. So a 3-3 three, three for 3 that can flicker for 3 is just not that exciting in modern these days. Um, and I'm not convinced that this is the... Uh, that Eldrazi and Taxes is going to be a major force on the go-forward in modern. It seems to have been lurking on the fringes. Over in the regular humans' builds, it's much more about keeping your eye on General Kudro for the long term since uh, he seems to have posted up there semi-permanently. It's also a 5-0 Elementals list that we've seen come and go in uh, top eights and uh, and leagues in Modern for quite some time. The cards I'm watching in there would include Lightning Elementals. I've, I mean, Lightning Skelementals. I've got some Lightning Skelemental Russian foils sitting around that would love to see A, Modern come back to the forefront, and B, this deck do well. Uh, pretty big stretch, so I think those, those are going to hang out in the long-term slash bad specs box for a while. I'm, I'm exactly with you. I've got uh, something like 10 Lightning Skelementals that I got for under 2, but probably I should have waited on. It just seems too good, with, especially with Unearth and the other guy who brings back Elementals when he attacks, I forget the name of. Um, there's a lot of ways to abuse this card and not a lot of ways to profitably interact with it either. You're, if your opponent has one piece of instant speed removal you're going to deal with that, and you're, then you're just going to unearth it, or you're going to do something else and bring it back. Uh, what did we talk about last week? Claim to payment back? It's all great. It's all great. Yeah, it's it's Thunderkin Awakener you're talking about. That That's can, the card. That can uh, bring back uh, low toughness elementals. And because Thunderkin Awakener has two toughness, and Skelemental only has one toughness, you get some, some free hits upside the head. Now, we've also got Mono Red. Uh, deck that's running four Heartfire Immolator, the 2-2 prowess creature out of M21, and also runs Gengatha, the Wellspring in the sideboard, because why not? <laughs> I guess they decided they could give up a sideboard slot for a 5-5. I think all they give up is uh, Searing Blaze, because Gengatha just has nothing with uh, double costs, and Searing Blaze or Searing Blood are about the only double red cards in something like this. Uh, we've also got a blue-red uh, Delver list running around that is his turning heads. This is four Delver Secrets, four Monastery Swift Spear, four Sprite Dragon, which is out of Ikoria, and four Stormring Entity, which is out of M21. This is the 3-3 three, three for 5 Flying Prowess creature that comes into play and scries for 2. But if you cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn, it comes into play for 1 and a blue. So you've got a 2-mana 3-3 three, three, Scry 2 Flying Prowess. Uh, pretty good. Yeah, what? Uh, there's not a lot else you need to say to that. Pretty good. 
So Blue, Blue Red Delver might be back in the menu. We'll have to see how the format shakes up post bannings. Uh, we should have a modern challenge or two next week to look at. I think the deck that's got the it's got my attention or has put my head on the swivel the hardest out of these lists though is this one with four Karn the Great Creator, three Kiora Behemoth Beckoner. This is the War of the Spark Kiora that untaps lands or untaps permanence, mind you, from minus one. Comes in with seven loyalty. Pretty tough to kill. And whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. So they're running Tron land package. And then they have three Chromatic Orrery, the M21 Mythic that was flagged early on as a commander staple, but I don't think anybody was thinking of it for modern. And here you have... uh, This deck is capable of going infinite with... Uh, Orrery and Filigree Sages, which is a 2-3 artifact creature for 3 and a blue. Uh, Vidalcan Wizard, and then for 2 and a blue, has the ability to untap target artifacts. So basically Orrery taps, makes a bunch of mana, and your mana can be all your colored costs or any color with Orrery on the table. So then you untap it with Sages, and you have infinite mana. And then you can cast a Walking Ballista and just finish the game. What else you want to do? You got infinite mana. You're going to do infinite things. Um, Walking Ballista is the finisher of choice. And uh, it's got the, the full setup to go find Tron in the stirrings and the scrying. Uh, you can't do the fun little uh, Karn lock, but you can go find uh, things like Platinum Angel or uh, my personal favorite is Defense Grid. Um that's a card I can't play enough in Commander. Like, sure, you can do things on my turn if you really, really, really want to. But it must be a nice, warm, fuzzy, safe feeling when you have this out. And, of course, they have both the Filigree Sages and the Walking Ballista, because the Sages are an artifact creature, in the sideboard, a single copy each, so that you can use Karn to go get them as well. This is, this is pure combo delightfulness. What, what are you going to do? So the thing about this is, if we were in an era where Star City Games opens were kicking off every every weekend or every other weekend, and we weren't in COVID era, it would be pretty sexy that Karn and Kiora um, both wore the Spark Planeswalkers that were underpriced even just a few weeks ago, and have now been draining out as pro traders and other speculators have been thinking harder about how hard it is to restock the cards uh, in their Japanese alt art foil versions. Kiora was available for, I think, 10 or $12 last week. And if it's a four, three or four of in a modern viable deck, plus has an EDH pedigree and collector demand, then it should not be as cheap as it was, not by a long shot. No. Um, what's the stock on Kiora right now? in tcg less than five copies i'd guess i don't think it's probably that low but let's yep. see it is two at 27 and one at two at 42 three listings 27 is looking pretty good if that's the uh the japanese versions well i mean these were 12 last week yes and i don't i don't think 24 is that um let's see we don't have any... Oh, no, wait. We, uh, uh, I see, yeah, the near mint foils. I see the pre-release ones, and I 
I mean, what what do you think the ceiling is on this if you've got 27, 27, and 41? I actually misspoke. The pre-release ones is what I was looking at. The regulars are just gone on TCG Player. <laughs> so the, the combination of this showing up uh, in my, on Magic Online and people being on the hunt for War of the Spark for Planeswalkers is an intersection that means you're going to see an instant drain. Get to it. There's, there's still some in Europe uh, under 20 bucks, and they are almost certainly a buy. Oh, yeah. I would, Not the least I reason of which is it, it, it has a merfolk riding in the mouth, mouth of a walrus, as far as I can tell. I, I don't think that's a walrus. Walruses have the tusks on top. But it, you know it's what? Got, it's, it, it's got it walrusy look, whiskers. It does have walrusy whiskers. I don't know, man. I, somebody else. It's, a, it's a special. It's a special walrus. It is surely a special walrus. All right, so we also have blue-white control with three Shark Typhoon. The extended art Shark Typhoon spec from a few weeks back from my side of things uh, has already paid off for the Pro Traders. Um, Card's great. Multi-format staple. Can't counter it. Bingo, bango, bongo. Um, Now, there's another interesting Tron list here. This one isn't Karn Kiora. It's Karn Ugin. And we're talking about Ugin the Ineffable also from Japanese War of the Spark. Uh, well, War of the Spark in general, but has a Japanese altered foil version. Uh, and this is the one that's running for Maze Mine Tome, also a successful spec for some other speculators recently, although uh, it was called late in our Discord, uh, for Mystic Forge. Uh, so this this version is full of specs. And I would it, one of the things to be careful of with going after Tron-related cards, is that there's about six or seven ways to build Tron now. And until you have a really strong grasp on which version is going to be dominant and Paper Magic Returns, kind of tricky to go after those cards. Now, um, I think Mystic Forge is a, a pretty easy card to start picking up in quantity, especially because we're about to rotate out of uh, it being standard legal. But remember that this is the core set where they pumped the foil rate by 50%, if I remember right. Um, so while the regulars are, you know, two, three bucks, the foils are... Come on, TCG, you can get there. Little hamsters get tired. I just clicked one button. You're killing me, Smalls. There are more. Uh, I, eventually the webpage will load and I will stop something <laughs> like... Well, in the meantime, I can run people through what's in this deck. This is four Karn the Great Creator, three Ugin the Ineffable, four Core Tapper, because they're untapping things like Astral Cornucopia, uh, two Engineering Bridge, four Everflowing Chalice, four Expedition Map, four Maze Mind Tome, four Mystic Forge, two Paradox Engine, one Spine of Ish-Sa, four Surge Node, one Throne of Geth, and 19 Lands... So basically, you're doing tapping, untapping things. Um, and counters. And, don't forget the counters. And Ugin is making all your colorless spells cost two less to cast. Uh, and you're moving some counters around with Surge Node and just making making tremendous amounts of mana, burning through the whole deck. And I think you end up... Rep- you. I'm assuming you can recurse the Spine of Ish-Sa, right? Because yeah, when it, whenever it's put into the whenever you uh, sack it, you can put it back in your hand. Exactly. You need the um, 
the sacrifice methodology and then you can just start uh, going through and that's what the throne of geth will do you sacrifice the artifact to proliferate and you just start running through it all your paradox engine is now online uh, you're playing your ensnaring bridge you've also got um, invent inventors fair is the fun one of it's just all gas and it's all beautiful and this is the kind of deck that makes me want to play modern I can understand that I'm going to get, like, thought seized to death and comboed out sometimes, but man, this looks like a commander deck that you can play a whole bunch more times and with a lot more um, consistency, you know, because you're always going to go, like, counters, 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 and anytime you've got Mystic Forge out with uh, Uga and the Ineffable, you are just going to burn through your deck. There's only 19 land in here. What a bunch of... I, can't, I don't know if it's madness or genius. I'm not good enough to, to, to say. Definitely want to be reading the articles by Tron experts in the coming weeks to get an understanding of dominant version, I think, is, is the bottom line. And keeping in mind that modern-based specs are going to be tricky uh, for a while. So there's also a cool 5-0 list here, though, in red-black. This one's pretty novel. Uh, eight Planeswalkers, one Chandra Awakened Inferno. That's a six-mana Chandra being played in modern. Uh, three to Chandra Torch of Defiance, four Karn the Great Creator. Karn the Great Creator being a common theme through a bunch of different lists here because of its toolbox uh, ability. Two Crocs, the Titan of Death's Hunger. Twelve Killy Discardy Sorceries. Uh, and instant another nine instants along that that stream of things bedevil cling to dust fatal push lightning bolt angrath's rampage collective brutality and so forth there's a death cloud that's cute and then four talisman of indulgence this is just a two mana mana rock being played in modern and a blood moon this seems like um you know if you're banning the basic the snow basics then people are going to go back to their all uh what's its face all they're all non-basic uh deck lists and i'm sure that blood moon was getting people all day he's also got the the liquid metal coating in the sideboard mm, start breaking bring, things yeah bring it and bring it in and start killing their lands so anyway uh modern looking like it has an interesting pool of decks to aspire to greatness post astrolab being banned and uh, we'll check back in on that next week. Now, in Pioneer, the only thing that changed was they got Oath of Nyssa back. And people were surprised because they thought uh, Blue Black Inverter and Lotus Breach uh, were big enough uh, hurdles in terms of just being an annoying, con ever-present uh, presence uh, on Magic Online for people playing Pioneer that Wizards would take action. But Wizards said... And I guess we're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it does lead into this uh, analysis of the challenge. Um, that the stats didn't support that. That the the decks didn't seem too broken, too dominant. That inverter and breach seemed fine, and they weren't going to take any action at this time. Now, other people have been pointing at uh, something I've talked about a couple of times on cast, which was that uh, pioneer trophies seem to be on the decline, meaning that there were less uh, events going off for pioneer, and they were having trouble filling them. But I've seen, and, and a lot of people have said that that's because Pioneer's no fun to play. Now, I've seen some counter arguments that it's not 
so much that it's not fun to play, but that there's no impetus to be playing it, especially on Magic Online, because for what limited amount of competitive support Wizards is offering during the COVID era, most of it pertains to playing limited or standard on Arena, uh, with a, a smattering of historic here and there. And so Pioneer not being on, a, on Arena means that it is in large part an irrelevant format. Uh, so there's no reason to be grinding it over on Magic Online if you also have decks for, say, Modern and Legacy. Yeah, um, the split between what they're supporting, I mean, what I see people complain about as uh, creators, like uh, we, you and I have talked before at length about the different ways that Wizards is screwing this up. It should not be hard for Wizards to give out codes to streamers for all kinds of magic goodies and uh they're barely scratching the surface with the um with the um the fnm at home program what they need to be doing is encouraging this and it would it should not i i should say it should not be difficult for them to do so but here we are and they have uh challenges that sometimes have trouble firing because they can't get to uh it's is it 32 or 64 now I don't remember. I think they had had it down at 32 for a while, then they increased it to 64, and then they were having a lot of trouble feeling. I'm not sure if they've reversed course to 32 yet or not. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, I, I stopped playing Magic Online around Shadow War. So, yeah, um, these some of these decks look sweet. Um, there's a really great Spirits deck that I would probably enjoy playing. Uh, any color, any deck, excuse me, any format with... Uh, Niv Mizzet Reborn has my attention, as I like drawing 10 cards. Um, if uh, Am I jumping ahead if we get into what's in the top 8? Well, I think the top 8 can best be summarized as being representative of most of the criticism we've seen online. It is 5 of 8 decks either being Lotus Breach or Blue Black Inverter. Now, the other decks involved are pretty cool decks, but we haven't seen a top, I haven't seen a top 8 of note related to pioneer that did not include these decks in some time however we also don't have enough people playing to really see the format evolve as quickly as it might be if people had impetus to be trying to break it or to knock those decks off their perch and it's entirely possible that the reason that these decks continue to be in the top eight is because it's the same 32 people playing over and over again with a smattering of fresh faces and the people that are doing well with Inverter and Breach are grinding hard enough that they have no reason to switch to another deck at all. Um, and it can be a little chicken and an egg when you're dealing with a metagame that is that small and that unchallenged by a, by a broader audience. So it's a little tricky to know what the right move is here for Pioneer. Um, you know, it, it would be interesting to see what would happen if they put the spotlight on it by announcing a major tournament around it online, uh, yeah. on Magic Online. The, the, them being feeling compelled to support arena since they tried you know the budget that was thrown at arena for the last five years is largely predicated on getting rid of magic online eventually and switching to arena during you know these lean times of covid they really have every reason to be reinforcing that so yeah i mean pirate pioneer is an awkward spot it probably wouldn't be in if the paper tournaments that were meant to grow that format this year had actually happened so you know, will there even be enough latent interest in Pioneer a year from now for that to be a thing? I have no idea. 
Oh, I think I, I think that um, you're underestimating that they're. I mean, what's the over under on uh, Pioneer Masters? Like that will probably do a lot to help. It's tricky though because if that product was in the pipeline and it seems like it probably was the release date was probably scheduled for next year and if it was late in the year that's one thing but if it was real if it was say a february or march release i think it would be be premature because they'll they'll end up printing a bunch of cards that never moved like <laughs> that yeah because the stuff that most of the, the the hardest spikes in pioneer were relatively early on and a lot of those cards got banned and that's why it's funny when people like try to point fingers about to people that like us that knew about pioneer a little bit early a lot of those people got burned (laughs) like people that the people that went out to buy specs on the first hint of that format were buying the wrong cards because they were either buying things that got banned very quickly or they were buying cards that they assumed were good but they weren't in this format and you know, people, for instance, a good example would be like, say, foil dig through time. Seems like a hot spec if you can play it in the format, but fear of it eventually getting banned has kept that from being so. And it was on the agenda for this round of bannings as something that they could have used to try to punish Demir Inverter. Um, they chose not to do that, but they still might in the future. And I think that that holds that card back, you know, cycle after cycle. Because nobody, even though everybody knows Dig Through Time is an amazing magic card, nobody wants to go in on expensive copies of it because you might not get to play them anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine buying a bunch of copies of Dig Through Time and thinking, oh, this will be legal the entire time. Like, it's legal. It, it's it, We've proved how powerful it is in every format that exists. So, of course, it's going to stay legal in Pioneer because there's no fetches. So that'll be fine. I've had a stack of foils since when it was, like, from the fall, the, the October that Cal, that uh, KTK came out. So I think that's 2015, if I'm not mistaken. It was either 2015 or 2016. And I sold some, made some money. I think they went up to 30 or 40 at one point during all that. Then I started getting banned, and I got stuck with them. And then it was banned everywhere relevant. And there was nowhere to sell them. So they went into the bad spec box. And then when Pioneer was announced, they came back out and I sold some more. And then people realized it was probably going to get banned. <laughs> and they stopped selling. And now they're right back in the in the bad spec box. So, I mean, stuff like that happens. And, and it's so much uh, safer to be focusing on commander cards right now because this constructed scene is very, very tricky in, in paper. So let's just finish this up. Uh, five color Niv-Mizzet in second. Very consistent performer. I've talked about it a bunch. You picked Nivisit himself in foil last week. Blue-White Spirits deck. And then in fourth, probably the most interesting deck, Winoda Naya Evolution. So this is Eldritch Evolution with a bunch of Naya creatures and Winoda um, allowing you to do some pretty busted things. And I think the most interesting card other than Winoda in here, which is, of course, a mythic out of uh, Ikoria, is Four Garrick's Harbinger, which is uh, plentiful, almost worthless coming out of the core 21 collector boosters because there's so much other gas in there that it makes some of these cards necessarily cheap and uh when i was looking over the stats on this card i was thinking to myself you know this looks pretty good (laughs) these stats would have been amazing 10 years ago so someone's gonna play this right Uh, i mean it's 
like you said, it's a kind of card that sh seems like it should be very good. It's a lot of power and toughness. It's got some level of protection. And it's got, um, you know, a really great when it hits a player ability. Winona putting it into play attacking is really just art. It's just art because you're going to gas up as you go. Um, I mean, this is, it's a 4-3 for 1 and 2 green. Hexproof from black. So you can't fatal push it. Can't hit it with that new. Uh, what's the new black kill spell? Uh, eliminate. Eliminate, yeah. Can't hit him with eliminate. And then whenever it deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, you look at that many cards from the top of your library. So if his power is four, you get to look at four cards and then reveal a creature or Garrick planeswalker card from among them and put it into your hand. Oddly enough, no Gar Garricks in this deck, which suggests that the card is not very good, or at least not what this deck's looking for. Um, and then you put the rest of them on the bottom of your library in any order. So with Renoda, you have a uh, human attack, right? And uh, Sorry, when a non-human creature you control attacks, you look at the top six and you can pull out a human. So if you have uh, the Harbinger attacking, it can go pull out Pia and Kira Nalar, or Tithe Taker, or uh, Angrath's Marauders which is a 4-4 that says whenever you would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage. So the cute combo here is that the Harbinger attacking pulls out the Marauders, which is also attacking, and all your damage is doubled. So the two of them do 16, and if your opponent's still alive, then the Harbinger looks at the top eight cards, and you get to pick a card. It's pretty busted. Um, it's also it's got... Fun. Everybody's favorite um, Naya creature in Voice of Resurgence. Just like you forget how much value this thing does, how it shuts down uh, card, entire decks that want to play on your turn. Um, you know, and it's got the. I think Eldritch Evolution has been a spec target like since it was printed. I mean, foils are up to. Uh, I'm looking at them now. They're up to. 15, 16, 18 pretty easily. There's a couple of people with a foil playset on TCG, but honestly, there's only 31 vendors for less than 70 copies. So that's, that's a hard one to argue with. It got reprinted in Mystery Booster, but not a foil. So... I like Winota long term. It's a very powerful card. It's gonna get. It, there are too many ways to abuse it, man. I'm I'm amazed that Winona avoided uh, the the second layer of bands uh, that we recently got. Like they're every time every time they print a good card that is a human to for this to put into play, you'd be like, oh, here we go, Winona combo again. There's no way that Winona a four four for four is getting banned in Pioneer or Modern. Nope, nope, nope. It's, so you're it's saying just, neither neither format? No, definitely not, never. Because we're, we're headed up this crazy power creep ramp, and this is an extremely strong card. And I understand why it was banned in, in standard. In standard, this is pushed. But in these, these other formats, it's, I mean, Lotus Breach and Blue and Demir Inverter. Okay. <laughs> While they're still around, you cannot ban Winota. We will see what busted human they print and make Winota bannable, because every and Winota doesn't have haste or anything. Like she dies. She to doesn't every need kill spell. haste. She trigger your Legion War Boss is going to give this thing three triggers. You're going to look okay, at the top true. twelve cards of your deck. 
your PAK <laughs> yes. under the R, that's another 12 cards. God that's help true. us, they're going to print some, like even something silly like uh, Sapperling Evolution or whatever it is from Dominaria. For two mana an instant, you get two Sapperlings. End of yeah, your you're turn, right. She, she, she doesn't need haste because you play a hasty creature the turn, no, the turn of or, or get something down the turn before. It is dumb, and I I think a ban's inevitable. Or they're just going to keep banning the good humans. I'm not sure which is a dumber outcome. Mm, I, I I think that she'll be manageable in this format. We will we'll, see. We'll see buddy. how it goes. We'll see how it we goes. We'll see. All right, so let's move along. Top paper movers of the week. Berserk at a Conspiracy 2. Uh, Non-foils going from 30 to 45. It's had limited reprints, lower print run on Conspiracy 2. If you see it again... Uh, Berserk doubles power, right? Yes, doubles the power and gives trample. And so it could you... be in double masters. It absolutely could be. And every time it gets reprinted, I'm like, this isn't on the reserve list? How is Berserk not on there? But yes, <laughs> yeah. it, it is not on the reserve list. I, I don't consider this an important card, and I, I would not make it a priority spec whether or not it's being reprinted. But uh, they certainly got pretty cheap when Conspiracy 2 came out. So if you cracked boxes this is just one of those incidental specs where you'll have a chance to out it maybe door of destinies at a morning tide in theory went from 10 to 15 dollars it's got a couple of other versions it's probably a bit getting pushed a bit on the back of both Vito and edgar markov uh decks getting built and the and the markov decks running Vito. um but there's other versions that are still closer to 10 bucks so i'm not sure i really believe uh in this particular spike Retribution of the Meek out of Visions is a reserve list card with a minor pedigree in EDH, going from 7 to 11, $4 gains for about 57%. This is just that occasional bump up you get on reserve list cards that is always in, in motion and especially true during the challenged buy lists of the COVID era. Preach. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Good Fortune Unicorn Foils out of Modern Horizons have gone from about 10 to 15. I didn't know they were 10. On the back of uh, Emil, Emil, the uh, legendary unicorn who just makes it so that you can flicker things and get all the counters. And this is a wonderful combo. And it, if nobody's calling this deck the Lisa Frank deck, I think they're missing out. <laughs> yeah, foils from Modern Horizons are, not, are at old drop rates. So foil and commons are not all that common from that set. And it came out of a $200 plus box. So uh, not tremendously surprised. And Emil is not even a card that people are really getting to build with yet because the first wave of Jumpstart was so limited and the rest of the planet hasn't even got their first wave yet. So Yeah. We're going to talk uh, a lot about Jumpstart cards uh, in the next couple of weeks, I imagine. Yeah, I, I could see Good Fortune Unicorn foils pushing even higher 2025. It's, it's, it was still technically in print a few months ago, so there's no way you're going to see a reprint on this anytime soon. Um, I don't see any reason why... Uh, you know, if they didn't put it into Jumpstart itself as a non-foil, then I don't think they, they would have any greater reason to prioritize it. Now, these next two are certainly an interesting discussion. Birthing Pod and Splinter Twin, both pumped. And as it was happening leading into the bands, people were like, ha ha ha, dummies and MTG Finance, they think that uh, Twin's going to get unbanned again. Here we go. They always do the same thing. And... Jason was bragging about how he'll he'll buy them for pennies after the spec fails again. However, I think people might be missing the point here. <laughs> I'm not convinced that either Splinter Twin or Birthing Pod uh, pumped on the basis that they were going to be unbanned on this round of uh, BNR announcements. 
I think that those might be leaked. That might they might be related to leaked information for double masters. Splinter Twin makes two things, and Pod turns one thing into another, which is kind of like making two things. That one's a bit of a stretch. But, yes, yes, it is. But but it's entirely possible that people either know or think they know that these cards are going to be in double masters and they've been going after older versions as a result. Now, if that's true, it's kind of dumb because they're going to get printed into dust here. Like whatever you manage to spike them to now by trying to corner the market on them, they're they're facing a flood of additional supply. If these get unbanned anytime soon, it will be because Wizards decided to print them at the same time. So, if Splinter Twin doesn't show up in Double Masters, I don't think it's catching an unban. And if it does show up in Double Masters, it should be price challenged. So, I, I recommend just steering well clear of these. I, I buy what you're saying about uh, Splinter Twin doubling something up and that fitting with the theme. Uh Birthing Pod is just uh, an amazing commander card, and it doesn't need a lot. I mean, it's new Phyrexia. It hasn't gotten a reprint at all. Um, let me look up what the numbers are for uh, EDH Rec. You know, it's already in uh, 12,000 commander decks. So, yeah, which makes perfect sense. It's basically a Vanifar. Yeah, so... No, Vanifar is the fixed version, because um, remember Pod got banned because you it does it's got haste and it costs less. Uh, the mana cost is irrelevant. Um, uh, there were decks that would chain from if the Birthing Pod was in play and they could start the chain with like one or two mana left over, they would end the game. I don't remember what the chain was though, but yeah, um, Birthing Pod. I think the new price will hold. I don't know about Splinter Twin though. I'm a seller of both, <laughs> if you're holding, um, because I'm I'm finding it very hard to believe that a scenario will develop where they are both unbanned and rare. Yeah, if either one of these is printed at rare in modern times, because uh, Splinter Twin was Rise of Eldrazi and then Modern Masters 15, so we're looking at uh, five years ago, and New Phyrexia was, uh, I don't know, I think I was in high school. Um, it was a long time ago. Because so, if Splinter Twin actually is in Double Masters, it could be a box topper. There's 40 box toppers. And that would mean that it's going to get... And, and it would show up in the VIP packs and in the rare slot, presumably. Yeah, Mythic Splinter Twin? Yuck. So, I, I, I'm i a seller <laughs> on both those cards. Foil, Sisse, Weatherlight, Captain. This is the Shrines deck in EDH going from 15 to 29. I would imagine some of our people that bought Modern Horizon boxes last summer have some of these sitting around that they never thought they'd be able to sell. Um, go ahead and get on that train. Kikijiki Mirror Breaker out of uh, Modern Masters foils from 16 to 33. Mostly about modern goblins, although there are a bunch of other uses for Kikijiki in EDH and modern. So, uh, could be... Uh, also has some possibility uh, of seeing a reprint in Double Masters, but I'm a, I'm a seller of Kikijikis. Anything I've got lying around with that name on it is definitely getting sold. Um, Honden of Cleansing Fire out of EMA from a dollar to two dollars. Not the kind of thing we tend to report on. 
a double up technically, but very hard to make money on given that it's going into the Shrine's EDH deck, but does show that Shrine, the Shrine, that Shrine's deck continues to drive um, sales or at least speculation. Uh, no Mercy out of Urza's Legacy. That's the first set ever with foils, 20 years old. Uh, foil of No Mercy going from 50 to 100. There's basically none around. It's in 4,300 EDH rec decks and probably should be in more. I think that says that anytime a creature damages you, it dies, right? Uh, whenever a creature deals damage to you, destroy it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty handy in, in EDH. It's basically a ra- massive rattlesnake. Yeah. Uh, it's in 2% of all black decks, uh, and it, that foil is a, a generation old. So, uh, Ayara, first of Lockthwain, we flagged on the Discord this weekend because I noticed somebody had taken a definite swipe at it. Uh, it wasn't me. Uh, foil extended art from Throne of Eldraine went from like thir- 25 to 30 ish to like 50, 60, 70, depending on who you believe. Um, and. This is yet another foil extended art in good position. So we're what we're seeing is that when a card matters, especially if it matters in at least EDH and and even better if it's multi-format, give it about a year and they will start to dry up. And that could be part of why the formulation in Core 21, for instance, cranked the drop rate on these up even higher. Because in Throne of Eldraine, as we've talked about before, you would generally get something like uh, three to four foil extended arts and now in core 21 you get six to seven i got eight in one of my boxes <laughs> so that makes them significantly less rare almost twice as common as they were and that could easily be because wizards has taken a look at the stats and things like foil extended art great henge out of throne of eldraine um and emery's and other stuff that has held a pretty high price point and doesn't have a ton of copies left and said we're probably not putting enough of these in the market because the market's absorbing them pretty quickly. Um, it also doesn't hurt that people opening ridiculous uh, boxes of Core 21 helps sell boxes of Core 21. <laughs> but they can't keep doing... push. There's only so many times you can hit that ratchet and spin that wheel before you've got like nine Teferis in a box and things get real out of whack. I mean... You're right that they that changing the distributions is not necessarily the the plan all the time. They surely have uh, ratcheted that up a few times. Um, there and I think what they're doing instead, though, instead of increasing the um, amount of um, what's the word I want, instead of the amount of a certain card. They're giving us a lot of ways to get it or a lot of versions to get, like with the Teferis. Well, yes, but the the formulation of the collector boosters, it's not just that there are more Teferis, because if you actually look at the four versions of... of, For the versions of Teferi that have four uh, variants, or three variants and one original, um, there are not actually more overall Teferis. Because each of those variants is a... four times more rare than a mythic if you follow all four variants add up to the same rarity as a mythic that's not the issue the issue is that there are more slots where you can get mythics in the collector boosters than there used to be and so you're just opening more mythics like most of the core 21 boxes i've seen opened on youtube and amongst our discord members 
completely ridiculous. Like we've had boxes that are 300 to 350 worth of value out of a $200 box. That's crazy. <laughs> and it's and it seems relatively hard with Core 21 at current market pricing for you to get much less than about 140 150 which is a lot better than say Eldraine or Theros where if you hit badly on your extended art foils you can easily end up closer to a 100 or even less so and and I think because of that I expect more of the core 21 CBs to continue to be opened I know we're ordering dozens of them this week and it was hundreds overall for the for the pro traders the more of those that get opened, the more copies get posted, it's going to continue to drive prices down. And the only question here is, when does the supply dry up? Because if Wizards uh, submarined the supply of Core 21 collector boosters from the perspective of being in the midst of COVID when they made the final call on the print run, then it could be that they end up like a Coria collector boosters, which are currently sitting at 250 and are relatively scarce in North America, and they could end up around 250 plus as well. Um, certainly, I like a lot of the cards coming out of these, uh, out of this set for the long term, because no matter what, two years out, it's still going to be pretty hard to find some of these Grim Tutors and Teferis and Ugans. All right, I see what you're saying there. I agree. Uh, all right, so we've also got Vorinclex Voice of Hunger out of New Phyrexia. Foils going from 40 to 100. It's in 9,000 plus EDH decks. It got reprinted in Iconic Masters, I believe, and it doubles mana, so it could easily be in Double Masters. So a lot of cards that are suspiciously, like, have a target on their back that seem to be pumping, and it leads me to believe that somebody has seen the Double Masters list and knows which ones that could have been in there were not included. Oh, that because that uh, that would be the play. You want to buy up the ones that aren't in the set, because when will you have a chance to print uh, a eight mana mythic like this again that you know doubles your stuff and halves their mana? Uh, well, I mean, I think will... their I think their strategy is is rooted in the assumption that people might be holding off on something like a Vorinclex, assuming it would be in double masters. But if you know that it's not, you might expect there to be a small pump spike when people start posting on social media, oh, crap, better get a Vorinclex. It's not in Double Masters like I thought. And so I'm very curious to see which of Splinter Twin and Vorinclex and so forth show up. Because if we're right about any of that, and they all show um get either if Splinter Twin is not in the set and Vorinclex is not in the set, then could easily explain why they've been targeted early i mean iconic masters um in new phyrexia they're both around uh thirty dollars but again there probably weren't all that many new phyrexia foils around so this is that lovely confluence of tiny supply and somebody you know put their money to work yeah i'd be careful with foils from that era because they also don't have the security sticker on them i don't think no uh this is before that sticker um I, I so. don't know if uh, if foils are in the if the the counterfeits are in are anywhere close to good enough on the fo on foils at this point though. I've heard foil monos are floating around. I, I mean, it's a four, it's a two thousand dollar card. Of course, it's going to be somebody's going to be trying to um, do that. They're they're they were faking hundred dollar cards. Why wouldn't you throw in the thousand dollar ones? 
my, my point being that it's a hard foil to fake. And if you could fake one relatively successfully, then you could definitely print Vorinclex. All right, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, so finishing up, we've got Oath of Nyssa non-foils going from 2 to 6, and the foils went 6 to 15. It was unbanned in Pioneer, which explains everything. So I pulled the stack of Oath of Nyssa foils that became useless when they tanked the green deck in Pioneer last fall. Pulled them right back out of the bad spec box. No bad specs, just long-term ones. And uh, the ridiculous gainer of the week is Trickbind Foils out of Time Spiral from 12 to 80. I'm certain I have one of those in my Jank Foils pile, so I'll have to pull that out. Uh, I don't think you can sell these at 80, but you could probably get 20 to 30, maybe now, if you were to post to TCG. Yeah, and uh, sell it you should. I, I don't imagine there are a lot of people out there in the market for Trickbind. All right, so moving right along to the Magic Online movers, we've got Elder Gargaroth from uh, Core 21, moving from 7 to 10 or so, 50% gains, probably on standard play uh, for that one. Crop rotation out of Urza Legacy from 3 to 5, 80% gains. Not sure what's driving that, except there might be uh, a bunch of lands in Legacy going on. Maybe as Pioneer has faded, Legacy has picked up a little steam. Sphere of Resistance, the Masterpiece series version going from 2 to 330. Uh, we saw other Masterpiece series uh, kicking off some weeks back, and this could just be trailing spec action, like people figuring they can corner the market on these, that there aren't that many lying around. Uh, Kethis, the Hidden Hand out of uh, Core 20, not Core 21, going from about 240 to 450. This is almost certainly predicated on the Oath of Nyssa unbanned because Oath of Nyssa helps you find key pieces in the Kethis deck for Pioneer. And it's legendary, so you can uh, do shenanigans with Kethis' ability, too. Right. And then Chromatic Orrery uh, was showing up in those Tron lists, so it basically doubled uh, on Magic Online from 2 to almost 450. Uh, no huge surprise there. Uh, there was a ton of action in our Magic Online uh, channel this week, and I was just too busy to keep up. <laughs> it's uh, a whole separate things to track, as we've discussed before. And uh, there's definitely lots of money being made in there. Um, ban days tend to be good times to be shorting cards. Uh, they get banned. And to be investing in cards uh, like uh, Kethis if, you know, an unbanned card uh, comes to the forefront. Uh, so if you're interested in all that, you should come check it out in the Pro Trader Discord. Moving right along to segment three, paper cards to watch this week. I've got a couple of spicy ones that uh, showed up in some of our uh, deck analysis this week. Although I have to admit that some of these are probably pretty long-term. So I'm kicking things off with the aforementioned Stormwing Entity. Foil Extended Arts from Core 21 are available for $5. That's not the Extended Art. That's the Foil Extended Art of a... Two to four of in standard, modern, and legacy at least, that can probably also be played in certain decks in Commander and will probably show up in Pioneer at some point if it's showing up in modern and legacy. <laughs> um, keep in mind that the, as I said earlier, the extended art foils are not apples to apples with the ones from uh, Theros and Eldraine because the drop rates are approaching being doubled. So Extended Art Foil Emery, I think we called it like 25 to 30 and felt confident about it. And I was buying non-foil Extended Art Thassa's Oracles at 10 bucks feeling confident. 
foil extended arts of this at five pretty sure it's going to be fine there's quite a few listings on tcg right now but we're basically at peak supply you're this is probably a very long-term hold so at least nine to twelve months would be my guess as you start to see paper tournaments kick off next year if the u.s gets its act together then this will be the kind of card that might come to the forefront and uh, I'm, I'm comfortable i wouldn't want to be super deep on it but i would be comfortable picking up a playset or two i only put a confidence seven on this but it's mostly because of covid and i think that's very valid um this is it should be good um you're not in at a very high price and it's something that you know is the sweetest possible version of a card which is always something that appeals to me um you are saying that when paper events start again this should be good um you're you're taking a risk on what will be good in a format three or four sets down the line i don't think we're going to get many paper events until like the you said a week or two ago like if we're lucky we'll get a big magic fest vegas to start us all off again next summer um america's making some pretty dumb choices around the virus so i'm becoming less and less convinced that that's possible and uh with that cat with you know that being the big problem otherwise this is a slam dunk <laughs> this is this is too awesome a card to not see play especially um what free spells are left we still have gut shot uh, mutagent growth doesn't really play um the green one is always a fun option you know the cataxium probe is banned but uh, we get one other free spell, and uh, this will really be the hot stuff. I, I, I like it. I just, um, I'm going to be hopeful that I could get in a little cheaper, because this is surely a higher on the speculative end of things. Yep, fair enough. All right, what's your first pick? Uh, my first pick this week is uh, Foil Thousand Year Storm out of Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, right now you can get them for around 17. Uh, I think they're in a great position to double up into the 35 range. They're an 8,000 commander decks. There's no other foil copies. There's no reprints yet. Um, every time there's a spell-based commander that comes along, this is one of the first things you want to target. Um, there's only a handful of copies left on TCG Player. And um, I just... I don't it's not going to go down at rotation this is a purely there, were, there was a little space in there where it was uh, a standard card people were trying to do busted things with it but uh, at this point um, this is a commander pickup and I think a pretty safe place to to go with some money foil mythics that are largely overlooked in standard tend to be but are really big deals or saw at least solid staples in edh tend to be pretty reliable um thousand year storm is to is it with great hinges to green ramp decks in edh more or less so uh yeah i like this one a lot right, uh, i'm sure that we had a cheaper onboarding point a little ways back down the road but that doesn't mean this isn't still good for a double up yeah especially with the uh, smaller number of copies available this this is one of those like oh why didn't i buy this when it was like ten dollars but, um, you know, there's a lot of cards that I wish I'd bought at $10. <laughs> All right. So here's an extended art foil from Throne of Eldraine that is a good example of why I'm still willing to look at uh, the extended art foil rares now that the drop rate is higher 
on the premise that it may take longer to drain out, but is still likely to do so. Talking about Charming Prince Foil Extended Arts, there are only 18 near mint results on TCG Player. They start at 10, then the ramp uh, starts to form relatively mellowly, mellowly up right into you know the $20 plus range. And I think planning for that to be your uh, your gap, getting in at 10, getting off the boat at 20, somewhere in, a, in and around a year, maybe a year and a half, is probably exactly fine for this. It's showing that uh, enough um, enough different decks want the range of things this will do. Um, it's a real Swiss Army knife of a card, depending on what you need, and that's usually going to be good enough. You get a scry to gain three life or blink a creature. And I would argue that in certain decks in EDH, this is probably underplayed. Probably. I mean, this is three kind of, this is not like charms or, uh, like the other, like really modal spells, but it's rare. It's the thing about a card like this is it's never bad. You know, there is the, your fail case is you're gaining some life, but that's because you really needed some life. And if you don't need the life, then you've got your choice of other sweet things to do. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I think this is good. It, it does have extra value that's probably being missed with some pretty cute cards available only in EDH, like Crystal Shard. Mm. Yeah, things where you get to keep blinking repeatedly or pick this up and put it back down, and it's only two mana to do that. And you get to dig for lands and then later combo pieces and whatever is is pretty solid. So it's only got relatively modest EDH play. I think it's only in like 2,000 decks uh, after the better part of a year. But it's a four of in Eldrazi Tron currently and shows up in uh, more mainstream humans lists as well. And it's also kind of a, a cube and casual card, uh, although the foil EA version is not as relevant uh, on the casual side. Cube people might be interested in it for that purpose. Bottom line, extended art foil from the original formulation on Collector Boosters at 10 bucks is, is super solid. Yep, I'm with you on that. Okay, what's your last pick? Uh, my last pick this week is uh, Eladomri, the Lord of Leaves, the original one all the way back from Tempest, who is on the reserve list. Uh, right now you can pick him up for around 18, and I think this is something that is going to break 40. Um, the new elf the allosaurus shepherd that you know turns all your elves into things um every new elf means people are like elves are amazing and while eldamari um gives the shroud he also gives the forest walk and um there's a, a lot of really great things you can do with this um there's almost none available at near mint there were uh it's on the reserve list and I think that this is just a question of when. You're not going to get any more copies in the market. Nobody's going to suddenly dig up a bunch. So this is uh, an, another pretty safe one, although this one will probably take a little longer to get there. It's the kind of thing where even if buy list turned on to full speed tomorrow, as magic gets older and older, buy lists are going to have more and more trouble pulling in cards from the earlier eras because a greater and greater majority of the players just didn't weren't playing during the early days of the game you know just like you know if you run a sports card store you know you don't have a mickey mantle rookie walk in every day because the 32 year old guys that are bringing their collections in to dump on you <laughs> unless they inherited it they don't have access to it 
and you know cards like Eladomri are destined to be you know even if they're slow on a slow growth curve with no specific impetus that jumps them up they're gonna get there so i mean i think i think that makes a lot of sense the other thing is that forest walk is basically unblockable yeah in commander <laughs> for at least one or two people at the table because you know if, if you're in brea then yeah you can't attack me but a lot of the other three and four color commanders have have green in their casting cost um and and or are running duels that 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 count as a forest so uh yeah i like this pick very solid um i would be curious I would be curious how cheap I can get them overseas, so I would certainly check Europe and Japan and see if they're cheaper, because I suspect they might be. Uh, my last one here, I debated as to whether I wanted the foil extended art version of this, and I think if we were on the old formulation, I would have gone that way, but because it seems as though the regular copies will show the best ROI, even if it takes longer. I'm going to pick the regular pack versions of Heroic Intervention, which is not going to be a huge surprise to anybody who pays attention to MGG Finance. This card would have been flagged right up front as soon as it was announced as a reprint as a card that you want to buy at Lowe's because it was overlooked when it came out in Ether Revolt. Nobody was really talking about it. But then a couple of years later, it had, what is it, 12,000, 18,000 decks on EDH Rec, something like that. Uh, a completely ridiculous number. And it got it was would have pushed past twenty for sure if uh, it had not been for this reprint. Giving it turns out giving your permanence uh, indestructible until and hexproof until end of turn is very very useful. Uh, certainly a card I run in attracts of planeswalkers. And five seems about as low as it's going to get. You might be able to scoop some at four something like that. Uh, or even a little less. I think I picked some up closer to 325 in Europe a couple of weeks back. But it's in 30,000 reported decks on EDH Rec now. 16% of all decks that could run it, run it. That is a very good number. So even though it's only a rare, the cheapest version is still this 4 to $5 buy-in, and you're planning on holding and maybe buy-listing in a year up a dollar or two. And if you've got a nice thick brick, even though you're not up a huge amount percentage-wise, it'll still be a very solid play. I can't argue, man. Like, this is... Um, there are not a lot of cards that give you the warm, safe feeling when you're in Commander, but this is one of them. Like, you hold on to this, and you're thinking, all right, no matter what, I'm probably going to be okay. There's a couple things that'll get around this, like... Um, uh, I forget the name of the Lorwyn card that just puts everything on the bottom of your library, but permanence you control. So if you're playing... You're all Shrines deck, and you, you're not going to worry about somebody laying down their um, Bane of Progress and just, you know, wrecking you completely and utterly. So I, I'm with you on this. I, I would like to see it get cheaper, but it never really got too cheap even with Aether Revolt, and we've had M21 in hand for long enough that if it was going to get cheap, it would have. So my final pick is Heroic Intervention. This is the regular copies out of Core 21. I think our in here is $5. We're looking to get out at about 10 And uh, just double-checking what we can do in Europe with these. 
about three euro plus shipping and you've got to get it from somebody who's got at least eight copies to make it worth your while it's still going to work out to about five bucks a copy because folks have been picking off the cheaper bricks so five dollars in north america seems super solid not going to get it any cheaper anywhere else you could also go the foil ea route they're down to about 15 keeping in mind that it's the same rarity as the storming entity play but we see that the floor on those is $5 or so from what Entity is currently at. So that means there's a triple premium on the Heroic Intervention EA foils. Which might be justified. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, might be justified given uh, how important Commander is right now to the Magic community and how it's kind of keeping the whole ship afloat. I will probably pick up some foil EAs and try to get them as cheap as I can, but... I think the brick is supposed to be the regular copies. Uh, you do want to have uh, these at their their lowest prices. I, I can't, you know, Jumpstart is about to suck up a lot of the oxygen, and we are start going to start getting um, Zendikar previews uh, before you know it. Well, we have, we know next week is Double Masters previews, so some of these mysteries, some of these mysteries are going to be unraveled next week <laughs> and then what one of the we should probably address one of the rumors going around that, that uh has been floating around this week which is that uh i've seen some suggestion that the location of the fetch lands that i had earlier suggested might be boxed part of a box topper package like basically if you took the expeditions new art versions of those non-foil and you made them a one in 20 chance at various lands as the box topper for zendikar 3 and say five of them were the fetch lands or 10 of them were the fetch lands then that might be a great way to sell zendikar boxes but the current rumor is that they're actually in the that they are box toppers for double masters and which means that foil versions of them are only available in the vip packs Oh, that's um, like they're they're just gonna tease us with the fetches forever. I'm tired of like trying to to figure things out. They're just gonna tease us endlessly. They're I don't know, man. I'm... The the funny thing is whether I'm right or the rumor mill's right, they're both not what people wanted. <laughs> the the box toppers is the best of the two because. The EV on the boxes might be increased by, I don't know, ten or fifteen dollars in the short term, um, based on the you know that if you look at the prices for the ultimate secret layer fetches, and use roughly those numbers as your starting point, their inclusion as box toppers would be in theory beneficial at first sight to the players. The problem there is that it ends up you end up back in the masterpiece scenario, which is really the reason you're not getting cheap fetches, is that there's a lot of reprint equity tied up in these cards. Lots of people still say that they want them. Um, and the problem being that if you look back at the sets that had masterpieces in them, like Kaladesh and, and uh, Zendikar 2, etc., the masterpiece the presence of the masterpieces drives down the value of the other cards in the box 
un- undermining them significantly, which makes it harder to sell those, but creates a richer top end. And what that tends to mean is that you're going to open something like a Core 21 Collector Booster. You're going to pull out some Ugans and Teferis and some Grim Tutors. You're going to flip those on the open market and make back most of what you paid for that collector booster box if you got it you know if you paid full retail in the market at 225 or 230 or 240 or whatever it's going to be a little harder but if you're buying them through pro trader you're getting them sub 200 dollars. so it's not that tough to get out pretty like recoup in the space of three to two to five cards get pretty close to what you put in and then you get to keep all this other stuff for free which in the case of Ikoria is things like the showcase mutate creatures, the Godzilla car, extra Godzilla cards, a lot of extended arts and extended art foils, especially now that the formulation is enriched and they have a higher drop rate. A lot of that stuff you can end up writing off as zero cost because the top, as I said, the top five or 10 cards in your box might pay for the box. Um, so putting them in the VIP booster packs is not super crazy. And as box toppers for double masters, because the costing on those things better accommodates cards that are as pricey as they are. The only way to really get them down into the dirt is to reprint them in a rare slot in a hundred dollar box. And they just seem completely unwilling to do that. <laughs> so I suspect we're going to get once the, the, the true location is revealed I suspect there will be plenty of sour grapes in the magic community. Like the the professor's face is just going to fall off. <laughs> it's going to be like the scene at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh my goodness, we got the full face melt. Um I I think that fetches are going to be one of those things that um they could put in two, three, four sets in a row. And it wouldn't make a huge difference. Like, um, the fetches got down to, I think the cheapest one at any point was the green-white one that was in the extra box, whose name escapes me, where you could get, like, a special Siege Rhino and a special Prophet of Kupix. Oh, Windswept Teeth. Yeah. No, I I remember that one. The Theros theme box or something or other. Um, That one got down into the 10 range. And it's still a yeah. couple dollars cheaper even now, but it's like if even if they reprint it down to ten dollars, it'll come back, and there will always and then they'll move on to the next thing to complain about, uh, which is how magic players work. But you know, I don't worry too much about it. My my argument arguments on this topic continue to be the same. We don't actually need cheap fetches. Right there, people will disagree with me, but let me explain. There are the biggest format that matters is Commander. And in Commander, their plan is to just keep giving us other land options. And they started that with the Battle Bond lands being, in most games of Commander, just strictly better duels that are basically full on duels with no restriction that only get bad when uh, you're in the final, final throws of the game. Uh, and in Commander, given how many turns you tend to have, it's the early access to the mana that tends to matter. You don't want to fall behind curve with the rest of the table, or you're just going to fall too many steps behind. 
So that was very smart play, and they still owe us the other five of those, and those could easily be in Commander Legends, which would fill a pretty big gap. And I would also expect that Zendikar 3 probably has a great set of duels that were targeted for Pioneer, would be my guess, because they banned the fetches around the time they would have been finalizing that set and said, these are not in Pioneer, we want to give it its own characteristic. So we could easily be getting a fixed template for Pioneer that will make, that will undercut the demand for the fetches because maybe it, it's not just Pioneer where those cards will be playable. Maybe those lands will be equally relevant in Modern and or EDH. So they can do, they can basically relegate fetches to a mid-tier price, and I would argue that $50 to $100 is a mid-tier price overall versus something like a dual land. You know, a $10 rare is for the people. <laughs> a $50 to $100 card is for the committed. And once you're beyond that, you're talking about whales and collectors. So I think that commander players have tons of options. I would argue that modern players largely have their play sets. And does it prevent you from putting more people into the modern pipeline? Yes, but that's why they created Pioneer, because they didn't want to put more people in the modern pipeline. They wanted people to be playing with newer cards, cheaper cards, and they wanted to remove some of the barriers of entry to the older formats while still letting them exist, but not supporting them as much. That's the whole point. That's why we got Pioneer. So I suspect that we will see unfurl over the course of the next year additional strategies that that further undermine the need for fetches. So that if you want to own them, we're going to give you some opportunities, but we're going to try to make it so you don't have to have them. And if they don't do that, <laughs> then yes, I agree. They're kind of being foolish <laughs> because it's becoming a PR debacle of epic proportion where they should really just at minimum print some fresh lands that, that can replace them so that people will shut up. Yes. Yes, shutting people up is a, a bonus to all of this. All right, so let's just uh, take a quick look at these uh, ban and restricted announcements that we didn't go through fully. In Historic, which is a Magic Arena-only format, so completely financially irrelevant. Uh, and in fact, if Magic collapsed in on itself into Arena, Magic Finance as we know it would pretty much be dead. <laughs> the The... I mean, even if they if Wizards stopped supporting Paper Magic, Paper Magic would not die immediately because there's just too many people that love it. Like you would see the creation of fan sets and what have you. So it wouldn't be the death of Magic. But uh, it would be pretty tough to make fresh content on MTG Finance in that, uh, in that circumstance. Fortunately, I don't think that's going to be where we end up here. But Historic had Agent of Treachery moved from Suspended to Banned, Ditto Winota, Ditto Fires of Invention. They banned Nexus of Fate and and suspended Burning Tree Emissary to see if it would slow down uh, the green-red decks. Uh, or the aggro decks, I guess. And in Pioneer, where people thought uh, Demir Inverter was going to get targeted in some way, they unbanned Oath of Nyssa instead. Presumably, I think they're trying to increase the profile of the green decks to see if they, you know, result in inverter still being present, but being a lesser percentage of top eights in metagames. Um, and I think that's a worthwhile experiment, given that paper's dead anyway. Um, you may as well see what people come up with. Now, over in modern, uh, Arkham's Astrolab was banned. That was called by a lot of people, and uh, nobody was really too sad about it. 
Thankfully, I've sold most of my foil Arkham's Astral apps and don't need to worry about it much. Over in Popper, Expedition Map is banned and Mystic Sanctuary was banned. I do have a brick of Mystic Sanctuaries that that might uh, impact a little bit. Uh, Sanctuary is still a fantastic EDH card and is playable in Pioneer and Modern as well, so I'm not super worried about it. Um, but it does lop off a, a chunk of the demand. Um, was there anything here that you definitely wanted to see go or expected to go that uh, didn't happen? I mean, the 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 inverter like deck made it through just fine, which is, I mean, at the least I would call that surprising. I don't remember exactly what I said uh, last week about probable bannings, but this being a difficult to interact with combo deck um, means that they they should have banned something if they wanted to increase the amount of, um, you know, in modern, you can't really plan for somebody playing ad nauseum because it's such a small part of the metagame. But in Pioneer, you need to have that plan for what do you do when they are going to play Inverter on you. So the it's true that um, the... How do I put this? The... Um, It has to be um, noticed that it is a, a consistently high performer and something that is pushing the metagame. I don't think warping the metagame is the term I want, but it's if you're not building for this and you're not building for uh, Winona in some way, you are doing yourself a disservice. Oh, wait, Winona's Winona. Banner, right? Yeah. You sound like you said Winona, as in Winona Judd. Um yeah, I think I'm in support of leaving things alone in Pioneer for now, and then they're going to take a look, and on the next series of set of announcements, I believe that if nothing has changed, they will take action. Um, oh, man. Um, let's see. Uh, all, I think the cycle of reflections is a slam dunk. I haven't written about this in any of my articles or anything, but um, mana reflection, if you've got extras laying around, I would give serious thought to moving those out. Um, I can't... Uh, what's the green one? I got a list someplace of all the sweet things that let you double up on your mana. Uh, and the, uh, the one, two and a green enchantment... You can play an extra land and you draw an extra card each turn. Uh, that seems like a lock. But really, the the reflection mana reflection is the one that I would be most worried about if I had extra copies laying around. You know, that's a if you were speculating on it, you probably got there already, and you should just hurry up and cash in. I worry about Panharmonicon here. It you feels should worry like... about Panharmonicon. Yes, that is a good thing to be worried about. I've got a stack of foils, haven't managed to get out of them to my satisfaction, and it seems like exactly the kind of rare where they might go, oh, that's the right price point to fit into this EV formulation, and we get to print, you know, that could even be one of the box toppers, for instance. Are and they foils or regular? Box toppers are regular, but the box no, no, topper... I'm asking about what you have. Oh, I have foils. You have foils. The, the brick I had of non-foils, I already buy listed. Um... The yeah, so the box toppers are non-foil, and then we we believe 
though no one seems to have been able to confirm this because of the odd wording in the product formulation notes that were sent through distributors to the vendors, that there are two what is referred to in the for, in the formulation notes as showcase cards, which we interpret to be two foil box toppers. So whatever the box topper list is in the regular boxes, we're expecting the foils show up in the VIP packs, which would explain why they are $100 a piece and they were charged to vendors at $75 a piece. If they are not box toppers and they are instead some other version. They are, in fact, another subset of cards that they refer to as showcase. Then it's going to get real interesting because lots of people have bought these VIP booster boxes at about 370 to 400 a case. And that's only four packs of cards. I think it's 140 cards you're getting for $400. They better be juicy because if they're not, that's going to look real bad. Yeah, they, they... I think they know that they they have to deliver on this promise of this is going to be ridiculous. You know, um, somebody linked me to a post on Reddit about $500 black tie drafts. Um, You know, that if you're going to make something this expensive, then you're going to have to come through. You've got to pay up. I'm not worried about that per se, especially... Like if you're taking a um, a twenty dollar card and you're putting a super premium version out there that um, you know it's the first time it's been in foil or whatnot, so I I think it's going to have the kind of results people are looking for. Should be great. Are you worried about that that they won't put enough value into these uh, VIP packs? I'm just like I calculated commitment. Like I got, I picked up three hundred and seventy dollars boxes of Japanese foil VIP, like Japanese VIP packs, on the assumption that I'm going to be getting things like foil doubling season, foil scalding term. I'll give you doubling season. Um, I think the discussion on whether or not there is uh, um, fetches in the double masters packs is a discussion that we'll we'll get answers on pretty soon since we're about to get into um previews yeah and the fetches rumor is is like this week and i bought these a month ago so it's more like i thought maybe doubling season plus eldrazi or something in foil showcase and so on and so forth cryptic commands i think jace the mind sculptor is rumored to be in this set so you're thinking that they were looking at this in terms of formulation calculation as being something where they're thinking, you know, the average box topper for ultimate masters ended up being about 45, 50, $55. And those were non-foil. So if they make hundred dollar booster packs and put foil versions in easy breezy lemon squeezy. But if there's something completely different, if it turns out that the only place you can get the 40 box topper arts is on the top of actual booster boxes, <laughs> could it, it could be awkward. So I, I presume we're going to see next week. So uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about on Tuesday once we've seen some of these cards. And in the meantime, I'm just dying to see how their experiment with $100 booster packs goes. Because 
I, I've seen the faces of many a Magic player now who didn't hadn't heard about that yet, and when I told them about it, <laughs> uh, reactions were largely negative. But huh. I think that the average Magic player doesn't do enough EV calculation as well, so we'll see. We will see. Um, I'm yeah, I'm not worried about them putting enough value in there, uh, but I just. Um, I like weird drafts. I like having options when it comes to the more expensive things. And, you know, it it always reassures me to know that no matter how expensive a specific collectible gets, there's going to be something in the much cheaper range for me to pick up. That always makes me just warm and happy on the inside. Like, no matter what craziness collectors get up to, um, you know, Liliana Dreadhorde General is still an $18 card, even if there is a $2,000 version out there. Yeah, and, and focusing on singles could well end up being the play here, depending on how what, how the formulation differences play out between the regular boxes and the VIPs. A lot of the time um, in the last year of premium Magic production, focusing on the cards that only had one avenue <clears throat> has been the smartest play because there's just the least number of copies overall. And in some cases that has meant uh, focusing on things that might not have been the top cards in a set. They just had a strong demand profile and only one or two versions. And that that becomes a unique thing in this era of Magic um, <laughs> because they're giving us lots and lots of versions. Probably worth just going over what the formulation supposedly is. It is 33 cards in a pack. You get two foil dub- double-sided tokens. You can reliably expect those to be 2 or $3 a piece. Um, as long as they don't have a cut line on them, which seems to be the case with pretty much every foil token that came out of Core 21. Um, I suspect you could, if you can find a foil double-sided token from Core 21 of the dog and the cat, and it doesn't have a cut line, (laughs) you should probably submit it for grading because it might be the only one in the world. Um, so anyway, these VIP packs supposedly have two foil showcase rares and mythics. I think that those are foil box toppers taken from a list of 40 cards. Uh, and we know that that includes at minimum doubling season Atraxa, cards like that. Uh, the Atraxa art looked really sweet when we saw the preview. Uh, two foil rares or mythics, eight foil uncommons, nine foil commons, and 12 full art basic lands, two of which are foil. Um, I feel like we're at saturation point on fancy full art basics. So these better be real nice. Whoa is everyone if they're noah bradley art (laughs) Ugh, ugh, that will just be terrible i think they would have said something they would have like i think they're gonna need to do something preemptively if it's somebody who is i don't um, think i think they're way too they've already said that noah bradley is canceled with them but that some of his stuff was already in the pipeline right and but if just like the the arts are by somebody who they have cut ties with then um they'll they'll get out in front of it before the packs are in people's hands nope no 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 (laughs) they they basically said like be prepared you're getting some noah bradley cards okay so that was part of his cancellation was hey we just found out about this so sorry but some of these are going to be associated with this guy um and we had this debate in the pro trader discord i may as well go over it quickly earlier this week about you know, people have been asking about 
hey, how do I price my foil Therese Nielsen such and such, Descendants Path or whatever. And our standing policy is you can't talk about profiteering on those cards. And the reasoning is it just creates a very awkward situation where you're bragging about money and in you're profiting off of the work of somebody that has been highly problematic in some way. Therese Nielsen being having all sorts of anti-trans and right-wing uh, conspiracy theory sentiment and Noah Bradley admitting that he's basically sexually assaulted people um, or made people <laughs> on some spectrum of un- making you uncomfortable to assault uh, seems to have hit that spectrum a bunch of different times. And it's just so much more welcoming to clear the deck on this topic by saying, we're not going to talk about profiting off these things. If you want to sell them in your own time or buy them in your own time, do that. But on that 0.001 percentage of the cards in your portfolio or collection, let's just agree to not make a big thing out of it because it's, it's a minimum gauche. And on the other end of the potential reaction spectrum from somebody else that might be in there with you, uh, it creates an unwelcoming environment, maybe even a hazardous one. So that's our take on that. But I think it's going to get real awkward if some really beautiful uh, Bradley stuff comes out and lots of people don't feel comfortable tabling it. So back to the formulation. This is a little different than what we see in the collector booster boxes. Collector booster boxes are 12 packs, so you get uh, significantly more cards. And you end up with a much bigger pile of cool stuff. Because in this case, the foil uncommons and commons are basically, for the most part, worthless. Because they're going to be in the regular boxes as well. And a lot of them are uh, pretty much everything in here is reprints. So some of them might have some sweet new art, but no biggie. Two foil rares or mythics. Uh, keep in mind, every pack in these boxes has two foil rares or mythics. Like every pack. So foil rares and mythics are going to be quite common. Now, there is a little bit of a tweak. And this is an extension of the policy that they had with Mystery Boosters and with Jumpstart, where the rare total number of rares in the set is bigger than usual. I think it's double. So instead of having 53 rares in a, in a regular set, this is going to have 100 plus. So that basically provides a direct statistical counter to having double foils in the packs. It should not, therefore, make them more common than normal so that's worth keeping in mind but i'm having a a really hard time imagining how these packs aren't really directly hinging on the two foil showcase rares or mythics being foil box toppers because just nothing else makes sense to me otherwise the formulation of these uh these packs looks pretty scant compared to what you can pull out of a collector booster where for instance in core 21 last week i was pulling out foil borderless to fairy borderless to fairy or foil uh, alternate art Grim Tutor and Showcase Ugin out of the same pack. So it has to be the box toppers. I just can't figure it any other angle. Uh, I, I'm probably going to agree with you on that. I mean, there's 
a lot of things it could be and um we just have to make sure we're staying on top of like what the the upper end can be because they they know they're they're charging a bunch and you know they have made a lot of their bones lately on surprise extra things this is more like we are expecting a whole lot and how they manage that expectation with us as we get into previews is going to be something i'm keeping an eye on we saw the vip boxes drop as low as 343 on tcg last week and those have now been bought back up into the 360 zone 340 was way too cheap because keep in mind that for a lot of vendors their price is like 70 70 to 75 a pack so that says 300 so if you're selling at 340 you're only making 40 on a 30 dollar investment minus shipping fees etc that's not very much margin um and we've done deals in advance for pro trader to lock early inventory down in the I think the cheapest we did was five one nine like in the three seventy to three eighty range, and you can still get boxes cheaper than that on TCG. Um, so if you're into this stuff, I think it's you know worth a look because we know at least four four or five of these cards, right? We know Mana Crypt is in there, we know Blightsteel Colossus, we know Doubling Season, Calia of the Vast, and Atraxa are both very popular commanders that are getting amazing uh, showcase art here. I suspect foils of those cards are what you're going to find in the VIP, and and therefore planning on them being, if I'm right, and all of that is true, then you basically just need them to end up at about $40 average, 40 to 45 and you'll be doing okay. And if they, the average ends up closer to 60 or 70 long-term, then you've done reasonably well yeah i i would find it hard to believe that the average doesn't get there you know that's seems unlikely a lot of this not not putting anything past them but you know that's that's all there on the unlikely scale in large part this does depend on the um the size of the print run right the 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 early ru- the early rumor was that Wizards was pushing these VIP packs really hard, and they were making more of them than regular boxes because the margins are so ridiculous on these. They're smaller, they're lighter, it's less cards, and they get to charge way way more. So it's much better for them to ship a ton of those than booster boxes because your dollar per like uh, unit of mass or volume is much better. So from a distribution pipeline supply chain thing, it's just amazing to be able to shrink your box and increase your margin at the same time. I'm going to give you less stuff, charge you more, and you're going to be happy about it is, you know, the end game of every marketer on the planet. So that was the story I was hearing early on. Now I'm hearing that distributors didn't quite play ball with all that because the price point that Wizards demanded, even at the distribution level, was so high on the VIP booster bo- booster packs and boxes and cases that distribution didn't want to take a lot of it on because they didn't want to get stuck with any that didn't sell. And so that might mean that some of these pre-orders that people have gotten on smaller websites where they got a pretty good price might not get fulfilled in wave one. And they may either get refunds, partial fulfillment of orders, or they might get bumped down the road and not have a chance to order to 
uh, crack into the hype cycle and flip out of some of the key cards that they don't want. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out and whether it means that, you know, we're getting offered discounted packs six months out or they spike super hard and they end up being 125 to 150 a pack. Because keep in mind, almost directly thereafter, they got to deal with Zendikar 3. I mean, previews for that are second week of September or something. Too soon. Too soon. And then, too fast. And then, com- and then Commander Legends in November, which wow. is going to be a, is, is, an, is a release on the same level as Double Masters, if not more so. So a week from now and two weeks from now, there will be lots of interesting follow-up to this. <laughs> and in the meantime, I guess we can call that a wrap. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me online on my uh, articles every Friday as well as on Twitter at Word of Commander. Awesome. And you guys can find me online at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles at MGPrice.com. And I am constantly haunting the Pro Trader Discord, helping our members make and save money playing Magic the Gathering. I'd also like to remind our listeners who haven't checked it out yet to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Drove this home last week. We'll do it again now. Our group buys are real sweet, folks. And if you've been on the fence, you should, for 8 bucks, you can come in. It's fully refundable. If you do not enjoy yourself don't think you're getting your your money's worth we happily hand you the eight bucks back the reason we can do that so confidently is because nobody ever quits so come on in the doors and try this out you'll find a very welcoming productive and cost-saving community that will get you exactly where you want to be with your hobby and we're going to have our own little tournament that we're doing soon we're putting that together the m21 version of the uh the mtg price uh sealed deck off yeah, so everybody is going to be basically getting a pre-release kit generated and we'll play with that on Arena and then we will have some kind of crazy ladder system where you will gain additional cards over time by like winning pools from the people you play them with and then the winner is going to take this we're going to actually order physical kits and the winner is going to get all the physical kits or the vast majority of them I think uh, sent to their home so <laughs> they'll get to open core 21 pre-release kits till they own every card in the set pretty much fun, fun, fun. pretty much fun, fun, fun. um one more time mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles don't forget to use the promo code finance plus the number five at checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.